We are uh, on the last leg of our um, series called Red Flags. How many of you have enjoyed this series? I have loved this series and the thoughts that it had us discuss um, and the, the, the kingdom of God it revealed, the, the, the parts of the kingdom of God it revealed and, and, uh, and just our relationship with Him, relationship in marriage, relationship in dating, relationship in family last week and today we're going to talk about our relationship with our community. And we're going to look at some red flags that we need to take care of in our lives so the kingdom of God might come in our own lives as well as through our lives in our community. Because it's about the kingdom, y'all. Jesus, when he came, he didn't preach about salvation. He preached about the kingdom. He preached about setting up his governance back on earth. Remember, he was the boss of the earth, uh, and then he... He created it, and then he appointed man to rule with him on earth. And man did the stupidest thing, and he handed his authority to Satan. And so Satan had a good run of governance with the earth, and he messed everything up royally. And then Jesus came and he said, all right, guy, it's done. It is finished. You've had your chance. I'm setting up my government again, and I'm setting up my ecclesia, which is my called out ones that I've called out of your kingdom into my kingdom, and they're going to replenish this place again. They're going to reestablish this place, restore this place to its original design. That's what the church is, y'all. It's not just a religious gathering. It's like a governmental outpost of the kingdom of God. We are the ambassadors of Christ, and we contend for the will of the home country here on earth. This is not our home. But it is home for now. And while it is home, we're contending for the will of the heaven. We're contending for the will of the kingdom of God. And every single time Jesus says, somebody gets saved, the kingdom of God manifests. Every single time somebody gets healed, the kingdom of God manifests. When, when a miracle takes place, somebody gets provided. Some, some, th- something is, is, is changed in a person's life. A person is dealing with a pattern of sin and they get victory over it. The kingdom of God manifests. Where? Because wherever the will and the way of God is happening, there the kingdom of God rules and reigns. And he wants that to rule and reign in your and my heart to the point where we become victorious over every sin and where we become victorious over every part of our culture that's dishonoring to God and we recreate that honoring place that place of honor that place of worship not just in this building but in every single life that we get to you know interact with Um, and the red flags really are things that prevent us mindsets thinking patterns opinions can you know that 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 prevent us from living according to kingdom culture living according to our home country so we've we've kind of like adopted too much of the host nation And, and and these moments are to remind us where we come from reminds us who we truly are So that we will live like kingdom citizens, like heaven's citizens on earth. Because if we do that, we enact the influence of heaven around us. And by doing that, we see people saved and transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit at work. So, like I said, this is the final series in our, a final sermon in our Red Flag series. And like we've said before, a red flag is a warning sign. It's a heads up of a potential danger. It's a signal that there's a problem that needs to be addressed. And Proverbs 27 verse 12 says, A prudent person foresees danger and he takes precaution. 
but a simpleton or a fool just goes blindly on and then suffers the consequences. Every time you see a red flag, it's an invitation from God to say that there's something wrong in your thinking, there's something wrong in your understanding, that all your actions that need to change for you to get into kingdom culture, to produce kingdom outcomes. How many of you know that you don't get to... Um, You don't get to have good relationships if you don't honor the people or the person that you are trying to have a relationship with. Yeah. It's like if the actions violate the outcome, then your outcome is going to be skewed. And that's why God wants us to change. He wants us to take, take, um, uh, take precautions. And that means changing of mindsets because our habitual thoughts become our actions. And our habit actions becomes what we are. It becomes our character. And so as we fix our mindsets about these things, our actions start changing. And therefore, our, uh, our character grows to become more and more like Jesus. I want to read you a verse from Mark because today we're going to talk about red flags in our relationship with our community. And uh, this is probably sometimes less about our behavior and more about our belief system that we're going to address some things. The, the condition of our heart toward people in our community. Mark 1 verse 17 says this, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. The interesting thing is for me that the call to follow Jesus was a package deal. He did not offer following him and then keeping on doing whatever I like to do. He said, if you come follow me, I'm going to make you into something. It's, 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 it's a package deal. And so following Jesus will look like fishing for men in an activity on the outside, a lot like that. And in fact, it says we're, we're, um, if, if, if we're not fishing, it, it won't really look like, it will rather look more like I'm trying to do my own thing. I am following my own ideas. I'm following my own self. It's automatic. Hello. It's automatically assumed that if I follow Jesus, that there's going to be some fishing involved, speaking metaphorically. So here's what I want to kind of talk about today. God does not want us to flee from our community. He wants us to engage it. God does not want us to flee from our community. He wants us to engage it. Now you might think to yourself, I'm not fleeing from my community. Well, I want to show you today how sometimes in thought and therefore, at time, and therefore as a result of that in action, we do end up fleeing in practice from our community. It may not be our intention to do so, but what actually our lifestyles produce ends up being that. So we're going to just discuss that a little bit today. We are sometimes given wrong information. And because of wrong information, our thoughts start developing around that, uh, which then uh, informs our actions. Uh, and, and that becomes then, you know, the product that we produce in our lives. The first thing we get taught erroneously is that we have to become separatist and withdraw from society as Christians. We must have nothing to do with society because society is evil and we cannot associate with evil. I have a question. What did Jesus do with the evil earth? He became a part of it. He became a part of it. He left the 
safety, security, and the perfection of his heavenly life. And he entered into a sinful environment that was antagonistic towards him and had nothing that he could relate to. And then he came and he birthed something within it that would lead to transforming it that made it welcome to him to reside. You see, God has called us to be like Christ. When the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, Jesus is the head of what? He's the head of the body. That means that if the head is seeking and saving what is lost, what is the body automatically also doing? Seeking and saving that which is lost, right? Like if your mind doesn't lead you to go and do something, your body isn't going to respond to that. Sometimes, we, you know, we call that sleepwalking. <laughs> but Jesus is not sleepwalking. He's actively pursuing the lost. And he's placed the church, like I said, on earth as an agent of his kingdom, an agent of his love that will perpetuate this love offering that he did, that he made for the world. That'll keep on offering it and keep on offering it and keep on offering it until the final hour. Never giving up, never relenting, never losing hope that there might yet be another that will respond like you and I responded to the offering, to the gift that he gave to us. How will the world know unless somebody tells them? How will the world see unless somebody shows them? That great privilege was afforded to you and I. Somebody showed you the kingdom of God. Whether it was through bringing you to church or whether it was through talking with you about God and showing and sharing the life story that they've had. Somebody showed you that love. They did what Jesus did for them to you. What we need to do is we need to take that and not let it just dam up like well build up in us we need to let that flow through us to this world that is in desperate need of it even though it is evil and even though it is not honoring and respectful toward God rejecting them actually pulling away out of it is not reaching them it's not going to make things better for you or for them Similar to that, we're often told that, you know, in order for us to reach uh, the world, people in the world, we have to compromise our convictions. We have to compromise our stance and our belief. Otherwise, they will feel offended and we won't be able to reach them. This is the other side of this pendulum. The one side said, you must separate yourself entirely from them. This side says, you must become exactly like them. Otherwise, you will not be able to reach them. Neither of these extreme positions are the kingdom of God. The answer does not lie in any of them. There's an uncomfortable middle ground that we need to embrace. Because I don't know about you. I don't like sitting in an environment where there is a whole lot of drinking and cussing going on. I dislike that. It's uncomfortable for me to be there. And yet isn't that where the light is necessary most? We are told that we shouldn't judge anything that's being done in the world. We have to accept everything with no attempt to change it. 
The problem is how can we lead people to choose a better option if we don't actually contrast them? How can we show them that there's a better way if we don't dare contradict them? That's this uncomfortable middle that God is calling each and every one of us to live in. And this tension, this tension can only be managed by a divine being. Because you need to be in that place where you do not sin and compromise and, 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 and take a hold of the host nation's culture. You need to stay in your culture, however you need it in such a way that you don't get booted out. That you don't get rejected. That you don't get unnecessarily um, that you don't cause unnecessary offense. There is a necessary offense that the gospel will bring. But there is unnecessary offense that sometimes only religiosity brings. And we as a church can do better at engaging our environment in that uncomfortable place. Yet, being managed by the leadership of the Holy Spirit to stay pure. Stay truthful to what we believe. Presenting always the hope of Christ. And believing by faith that people will respond to it. Even though it might be slightly confronting to them at first. This special group of people (laughs) is the church. God did not call us to escape the world or to flee from it. He called us to engage it. So let me show you something from 1 Peter 2. That is just an incredible um, uh, identity passage. It talks about who we are as Christians. Verse 6 to 9 says the following. For it stands in Scripture. So here we have Scripture quoting other Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So in, constru- in the construction world, building things straight and, and, and having you know, true 90 degree corners are really important. Because um, if you don't take focus of that in the beginning, then it just affects everything uh, uh, after. Uh, and it makes life very difficult for whatever you know, contractors come after you that need to install floors and you know, uh, do all sorts of other things. And, and so the cornerstone is like the standard stone. It's the one that says it, it, it shows the true north. It shows the true uh, the angle that you need to build by. And so Jesus is obviously being referred to here as the chief cornerstone. He is our true north. He shows us uh, when, our, uh, um, you know, when our direction is true. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, does it, does it say here. But the next verse is just incredible. Listen to this. It says, so the honor, the honor is for those who believe. Have you ever thought about that? That you've been afforded an incredible honor as a believer? It says, it's it's, it's, it's not for those, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And then it says, they stumble because they disobey the word. But let's go back to that little part here. For whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And it's an honor 
for us to be counted among those that believe in Christ. You are honored by God. Isn't that incredible? We are called to honor Him, but did you know that He honored you by bringing His Word to you? So think about how we perceive people that brings the Word of God to us. Do we perceive them as doing an honorable job, an honorable thing? Or do we perceive them as being pesky and bothersome, irritating? Where in fact, God <laughs> is honoring people by bringing His Word to them, by showing them the cornerstone. And it's their option to reject it or to receive it. If they receive it, their shame is removed. If they reject it, they stumble and fall because they disobey. Verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pack these suitcase words for us here today. A royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's one of the... One of the like for me, one of the, the, the scripture verses that describe the church, our character, our nature, our, our identity so well. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what is a big red flag in a Christian's life? It's if you are afraid or ashamed of talking about your faith. That's a huge red flag. Because your mindset has been changed away from honor to shame. How did that happen? You have to figure that out. You have to try and understand where did this move? Where did the shift come in? When did I become ashamed of being a Christian? And letting people know that I'm a Christian. What happened? Because in there, there's a lie that you need to go and identify and reject that lie so that you can receive the truth here today. You were honored. You were honored to be presented the option of receiving His Word. So from this verse, we see that shame isn't a part of the Christian's life. There's no shame involved in a Christian's life. Shame is something that's reserved for unbelievers who choose to reject because of their unbelief the offer that was presented to them. There is no shame for the believer. In fact, honor is stored up. Um, and, 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 and what is this honor? It, I think verse 9 describes it so well. The honor is that you are now a chosen race. A holy people, right? You are appointed by God as a royal priesthood. So you're ready to jump into those words. What does 1 Peter refer to when he says you are a chosen race? It talks about your core identity. 
It talks about you becoming a part of a new people, a new community identity that supersedes, in fact, actually it predates your current cultural identity. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says here. Blessed be, verse 3, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before you were even born in the current culture that you were born in, before you were born in the current race that you were born in, you were chosen in Christ. You came from that identity and you were born on earth in a particular other identity. But your identity as a Christian predates your identity on earth. And having been reconciled with God again, you have been brought back to that original identity that has nothing to do with skin color or cultural um, activities, but everything to do with your origin, everything to do with where and who you came from. When he says you are a chosen race, it means that he is trying to restore you back to your original design, which was a spiritual being living in an earth suit. But that spiritual being was birthed in the, was, was, was made in the complete likeness of God himself. We were created in his image. And listen to verse 5, it says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. What does this mean? It means that He always, always knew that one day there would have to be a moment where you had to make the decision whether you're going to reject the offer or whether you're going to accept the offer that Jesus was going to bring. And when that you would bring, when you would accept that offer, that you would be restored back into sonship. You would become of the God kind again. You would become a child of God with the culture of God and the race identity of God again. This is so powerful that if we will catch this, we will realize why the church is the only unifying thing that can bring this world together again. Because the church's identity predates every other identity. It makes us see that we're one. And that we can transcend our earthly living and connect on a higher level with one another. That is a unity because we are one people. We are one race in Christ. That is incredible. So Peter is trying to tell us, look, you are a chosen race. And then he tells them in another translation, he says, you who once were not a people have now become the people of God. Think about who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the Jews. You think the Jews thought they weren't a people? The Jews of all people thinks that they are a people. 
Yet God tells them, you were not a people, but now in Christ, you are the people of God. That is an incredible unifying thought that the church needs to proclaim louder and louder and louder. The hope of this world lies in the church. We're the ones that, can, that has the answer that the world is out there looking for. The world is moving further and further and further away from each other. That's why we need to move stronger and stronger and stronger toward one another, to be countercultural, to bring the, count, the culture of heaven back and show people how we do that. But if you can transcend your own natural culture and you can connect to kingdom culture, there'll be nothing that divides you and I. But if we dwell on the, on the lowly things of culture, the, the earth things of culture, we have lots to divide over. But when we transcend that, and we think of ourselves as, 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 a, as, a, as a Christian race, then there's nothing between you and I that cannot be reconciled. I am first and foremost a son of God because I was created in Christ. I was always planned to be in Christ and adopted in Christ. It's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a new plan. It's the original plan. You'll see that. Right? It's not, a, it's not a, oh, snap, things went wrong. We need to try and fix it. No, 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 no. No, it's like, no, we just need to, or we need, we need a plan. What will we do about this? Oh, maybe we could try, you know. No, no, no. It has always been the original plan that got, that got broken. Through our disobedience. But now through our obedience, it's once again being restored. I'm first a son of God and so and daughter of God and so are you. I'm first a Christian, then I'm a South African. I'm first a Christian, then I'm an Afrikaner. I'm first a Christian and then I am an ace. That's my last name for those of you who don't know that. I'm first a Christian and then I'm a white man. I won't allow the fact that I'm a white man to dictate my behavior. Because I'm, a, I'm more than that. I'm a son of God. And I want to encourage you. You should be first a Christian, then a Cajun. I know that's hard to comprehend. <laughs> but that's what God wants to tell you today. You are a chosen race. You are His people. You know, I, come, I come from a church family that used to, our first, our first name of the church family's name was His People. <laughs> the His People Church. Christian church, right? We had that identity that we are, we are, I am not, I am not that nation's person or this, you know, culture's person. We are his people. We are his people first. What does he mean when he says you're a holy nation? We'll skip the royal priesthood. I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that one third. A royal, a holy, holy nation. What he says, he means that you are redefined. As a chosen race, you are now a holy nation in Christ. He says, you've been weighed and you've been found righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21, listen. For your sake, he made him, Christ, who, uh, him to become sin, to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, sinless life, 
so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Not so that we might, in Christ, become sinners that are saved by grace. No. So that we might become the righteousness of God. You've been redefined. God has redefined you. Not your effort, not, your ma- not man, not, not your religion, not your church affiliation. God has redefined you because you are in His Son, Christ, a new race. You're now a holy nation. I know you sin. I sin too. I mess up. But that does no longer define my identity and my nature. My nature has shifted. I have been born again. I've been made new. The old has gone. If I was a sinner before, that means that is now gone because that's the old. Now is the new. What is the new? The new is redefined nature. It doesn't say um, he gave Jesus sin so that we don't have to carry our sin anymore. It's not about our actions. It's about our being. It's about our nature. He made him to be sin. To his core, Jesus was defiled by sin, the sin of the world. And that's why God turned away from Jesus and across, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If God would have answered back, he would have said, because you are now sinful. And I cannot associate with that anymore. I have to reject you. And so Jesus, for the first time, experienced rejection, separation from his father. He had to experience that because that's the condition you and I lived in before Jesus Christ. We were separated from the father. But then Jesus, because he had no sin, had the authority and the righteous nature. Oh, oh, sorry, um, the authority and the power because he was God to take his life back up. He also had the legal right to do it because there was no accusation against him personally. So he took back his life. And then he said said to Satan, now I'm taking back the authority that Adam gave you. And from now on, I'm reestablishing my will and my way on the earth. And my people will follow me. They will reject you and they will accept the offer that I gave them. And it's going to be by faith, not by their works. Right? So we did a message on this a short while ago. It's called No Longer Sinners. You can find it on the app. I'll go into a lot more detail about it to explain it. But the beautiful thing about this is that God has redefined us as a holy nation. So that means that there is no shame for you. Even if you make a mistake, there is no shame and no condemnation. Sure, there's gonna f- you're going to feel bad, but that's why the Holy Spirit comes and says, this is what I want you to do to, uh, to, 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 to replenish your relationship again. Because it's about having a great relationship versus having just like a surviving relationship with God. But a relationship nonetheless. The relationship isn't started and stopped the whole time. It's affected by our disobedience. But it's not cancelled. The relationship can only be cancelled by unbelief, not by sin. Now, I've got to get this. This is the new covenant we're talking about. That's the honor that you have been afforded in Christ to stand before Him as righteous. In your nature. 
But let's, let's jump into this part here, because this part here is pertinent to our discussion of having relationships with our community. Now, if you do understand your own identity and you're no longer insecure about your Christianity, that puts you in the right position, disposition, to engage the world out there without shame and guilt and condemnation. But what does this mean when he says you are a royal priesthood? You are a royal priesthood. That phrase refers actually to two domains in life. It refers to our, um, to our, our natural domain of, of, of work and existence and what, 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 it, what it would refer to if, if you think of the word royalty is, is, is our domain of life. The king domain. The ro- a king has a domain. It's called his kingdom. And within the borders of that kingdom, his decree is law. Right? And so you have an area of life where God has appointed you into to become a ruler, to become an, an, an ambassador and, 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 and an influencer that shows the kingdom culture to the world. Okay? And then there's this part that's called the priesthood. And that's kind of like what we're doing here. It's ministry. It's, you know, caring for people, praying for people, sharing our lives and testimonies with people, etc. The beauty of this verse is that both of these domains have been given to all people. Everybody who is in Christ have been given responsibility to both of these domains. That means if you're not a pastor and you're in the workplace, you're not exempt from having a responsibility towards ministry. But if you're, in a, you're a Christian and, and you're maybe working at the church, that does not exempt you from living out in the, in the marketplace, the kingdom of God, your normal life out there. And so often people get this wrong and they find it excusable to be one thing at the church and another thing out in life or one thing in life and then another thing out in church. No, God wants these, th- these domains to, to, to be married to each other. You're a royal priesthood. That means you're going to have your, 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 um, your ministry out there in the world where you're going to represent the kingdom of God in the way you go to work, the way you show up, the way you, uh, uh, um, you know, interact with people, the way you even do your work. But you're also going to be involved in a ministry area where you're going to be thinking of spiritual, uh, um, uh, uh, the spiritual life, people's relationship with God, how you can pray and intercede and help them to get there. A big red flag for those of us who are not working for the church is that you think, I'm just at this job for the money. That's a big red flag. Because you've been created to be a royal priesthood. That means that your ministry life has to somehow show up in your workplace. It has to. Because you cannot separate your identity. You're not a Christian in this place, but you're not a Christian in that place. No, you are a royal priesthood. You are the same person everywhere you go. In fact, God is not only concerned with your walk as it relates to the church, but He's also concerned with your walk as it relates to you bringing the will and the way of God into your workplace. In fact, work is called a calling. A vocation is called a calling. And that calling comes from God who appoints you in that area to represent Him. 
So I have a question for you. Do you say, thank God it's Friday or thank God it's Monday? And to understand this helps you to realize that, man, on Monday I get to re-engage my purpose in the world. I get to be an example for God's kingdom and an influence in the lives of people who might never set their foot in a church building like this. Sometimes we think that that is going to mean that now I have to just counsel and pray and talk about the Bible the whole time at church. But actually, in this part of, your, um, uh, of the royal priesthood, in this domain, it's actually not about that. Here it's actually more about the quality, the character of the work that you produce. It's more about your example and it's more about... Um, and God is actually concerned with what type of product you produce at your work. Because you can be a good example for his character, or you can be a real bad example for your character. If you treat your job kind of like in a slapdash kind of manner, you know, lackadaisical, you know, oh, I don't want, I just want my paycheck. You're not being a good representative of the, of the kingdom of God. But if you show up, not just in person, but you show up in heart and mind, passion. You pour yourself into your work and you produce a good product. People take notice. And they go, now that's a good worker. When they learn that you're a Christian, they go, hmm, okay. Unfortunately, Christianity has done a bad job at this. Why? Because of this wrong belief. I don't have to represent the kingdom in my workplace. I'm just there for the money. And what's that caused people to do? Sometimes you hear people say Christians are the worst workers. That's an indictment against us. Yeah. Christians has to be the best workers of the best workers. We have to be the hardest workers, the most committed workers. We have to be the best communicators. Why? To bring honor to our king. To represent the kingdom that we're of remember this is our host nation this is not our home country so i'm thinking of how does god's kingdom operate the beauty of creation think of the complexity and the specificity with which the the universe was made think of your body think of how complex the human body is with all the knowledge that we've attained people are still not able to even get close to properly managing hormones and things when they go out of balance like my friend Ryan, who um, uh, some of you know that he's been here, he suffers from epileptic fits. And basically what this is, when, when you're a ep sufferer of epilepsy, you just become a big old experiment to the medical community. And it's basically a process of eliminating what does not work until one day you, you, know, you happen to get the one that might work. Why? Because the human body is so complex. The kingdom of God yet, though, understands it all. And it created us this beautifully. And it created us excellently. Before sin came into this world, this world was perfect. Everything worked exactly the way it needed to work. Which means that the kingdom of God creates things good. Creates a good product. And if we're of the kingdom of God, then that's the product we need to produce in our, in our, in our lives at, at work. But it's not just, a, okay, at all times, use, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use word. By the way, they say St. Augustine quoted that. He never quoted that. We don't know where that comes from, and it's not scriptural. 
It just isn't. There is always going to be a need for us to speak about what we believe and why we believe that. I'll get to that in a second. But listen to this. God did everything excellent. And so when we are out there in the world, our job is to do it excellently. Serve that ungodly boss with excellence and with character. So that when he understands and realizes that you're a Christian, it confronts him in a good way. It doesn't add to his already negative view of the church and of God and of Christianity. Oh, these Christians, all they want is more money. No, add more than what you're getting. And you have some testimony about who your God is on the inside of you to add to the fact that you believe and it confronts people in a good way. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the pla- passions of the flesh. Right? You see, he talks about us not being from here but, but living here. Which wage against, uh, war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God instead. The day that he comes and confronts them with his truth. See, you're setting people up. One day somebody's going to confront them with the decision that they need to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. And all they're going to remember is going to bring around, wow, that was a really good guy that worked for me. You know, he cared for me. He cared for our company, even though he was just an employee. Why did he do that? Well, I know that he was a Christian. And maybe that's why. Maybe this Christianity thing isn't a farce, isn't so, so, so stupid as I once thought. But then there's the part, the priesthood, which is the ministry part, right? And so we are both called to rule with Christ as ambassadors out there in the world and also to minister His truth and His presence to the world that we're living in, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. And remember I said, it doesn't just mean that now every day of the week I'm going to go counsel and go pray and go, go all of that. No, no, that's probably more a vocational Christian, a pastor's job, sure. But God's going to give you opportunities to do what Matthew 28 verse 19 says. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. Now, the original language really says it this way. It's as you go about life, make disciples. It's not an event. It's, it's, like, it's like weaved into everything. What is that? It's a different mindset. I'm a royal priest. I'm not just an employee. I'm not just a business owner. I'm not just a, you know, a teacher or an advocate or a, or, a, or, a, or a politician or whatnot. I'm a kingdom priest advocate politician etc and so everything and every part everything that i'm doing i'm representing the kingdom i'm showing the kingdom i'm modeling the excellences the excellencies of god but then i'm also speaking it i'm explaining it to people and i'm inviting people to come and see my life and follow me as i follow jesus that leads to the third red flag which is you know the pastor must preach the gospel not me Traditionally, we've been informed that it's the job of the church staff, the pastor and, and, and those guys to do the ministry. And it's the job of the church members and attenders only to be examples in their workplaces. Well, biblically speaking, it's not either or, it's both. It's both. 
Listen to what First Peter 3 verse 15 says. We were, it says we were all, it, it talks about the fact that we we're all appointed to ministry and to living out the kingdom values and kingdom standards in the world as citizens of the world. It says, but give reverent honor in your hearts to the anointed one and treat him as the holy master of your lives. And if anyone asks about the hope living in you, always be ready to explain your faith with gentleness and with respect. Remember I said, sometimes we cause offense and it's completely unnecessary because we're not being gentle and respectful toward the people that ask. God wants us to to learn how to live with that mindset that I'm a royal priest wherever I go. And I know some of you who, who don't bring that separation. You bring God with you into your workplace without it becoming an issue. Because you've learned how to do it with gentleness and with respect. Yet you've learned to stay integrated. You've learned how to stay true to your real nature. You are a chosen race. A holy people. A royal priest. Everywhere you go, that's who you are. And defines how you see life. How you see people. And it leads me to the, the, the fourth and final red flag is that you will see people and not be blasé about their eternal destination. Because it's a massive red flag. If you think I'm going to heaven, I ain't concerned about anybody around me, where they might end up. That's a red flag. Christ came to seek and save the lost and we are continuing his, 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 his search, his journey to find people. I remember so, so deeply, like the, when the first time I became born again, like truly understood what it meant to, to, to be a son of God. I immediately became so concerned about my brothers and my father because I knew my mom was okay, right? And so like, I immediately wanted to know what their opinion of this is or, and, and if they've given their lives to Jesus. And so I started conversations with them. Some got mad at me. Some like, were like, no, we've done it before. And I was like, okay, good. So now I know who I need to what? Pray for and keep on engaging. It's the most difficult thing to reach out to your family because they know you. And what they got to have to see first is they're going to have to see the kingdom of God in you first before they want to listen to what you have to say about it. And so you have to start living it with gentleness and respect toward them. But the concern needs to be there if they don't, if they reject the cornerstone, they're going to stumble. Living with an internal mindset makes us concerned about the people that we're working with, the people that we're working for, and the people that's working for us. Because if they don't receive Jesus, they'll end up in hell. Because there's only one way into eternal life. Not into eternity, but into eternal life. And that is through Jesus Christ. And our faith in Him. In 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul wrote, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that I might save some. He knew he wasn't going to save everybody. 
You see, sometimes we, 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 we fear that, you know, I might say something to somebody and they might, you know, reject me or laugh at me or etc. Well, you know why that's so hard for you? Why that's so, 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 um, so, so difficult for you to, to, to kind of get over? It's because you think that it shouldn't happen. Let me just release you of that. The Bible guarantees it's going to happen. You're going to talk to some and they're going to reject you. Just expect it. And when it happens, just be okay. But you're also going to talk to some. And they're going to go, wow, I've never known this. Thank you for sharing the honor with me. They won't say it like that because they don't understand yet. So what's the they're just going to be like, what do I do now? All right. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead after he was crucified for your sins. That leads to you being born again. Because of your faith, not your works. And then you take the steps that he describes after that for you to start growing in that relationship. In verse 23 it says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Have you been blessed by serving Christ? Religion makes us become uh, water dams. Okay, like a lake. Flows in but nothing flows out. It's self-centered. It's all about me. A relationship with God, a true relationship with God makes you a river. You receive from the one end and you give out to the other end. And it's always refreshing. It's always healthy. Teeming with life. Providing life for whatever grows around you. That's the picture of what God wants to create you. He wants us to engage people that don't know Him yet with the truth about knowing Him. And how it happened for us. That's sharing the gospel and sharing our testimony. That's what it is. At OEC we say people are our passion. That's why we work so hard, play so hard, plan so hard. So that people might be set free from that, that curse of being separated from God. And the destiny of hell might be averted. So. In my life, what can I do about these red flags for today? What now? The first thing I want you to invite you to do today is to reject shame and embrace the honor that God gave you. Reject shame. God honored you by including you as his chosen people, as his holy nation. And he is. The second point is accept the appointment. Don't fight it. The Bible made you a, God made you a king and a priest. The more you fight it, the more you're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss things. You're going to misunderstand things. The Bible won't make sense to you. You'll be irritated in churches that want to activate you to be a, a living Christian out there. If you accept it, it becomes life to you. It inspires you to step out into your workplace and ask God, Lord, what can I do here? How can I bring change to this place? How can I, how can I support my, my company? How can I support my, my organization? In the best possible way that you've given me gifts to use. How can I benefit them from being here? How can I live out my purpose here and represent you well? And when they ask me, man, why do you love being here so much? Your first answer is, oh, you know what? You know, it's something to do. Great paycheck. Crap like that. No. No. 
You say, I love it so much because it honors my king if I represent him good no matter where I go. That's your answer. Because it honors my king. Being a good representative of who he is and how he is. Because he saved my life through the grace of Jesus Christ. And now it's given me an opportunity to tell all of you how much he loves you. And how much he wants each and every one of you to have a relationship with him. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. No matter what cultural place they come from. Because it's a call to a culture that is supra-cultural, what the theologians talk about. It's above all culture. And the last thing we can do is to engage our community with the gospel of the kingdom of God. Being outward focused. Don't ignore the people that are going to hell around you. Love them. Engage them. I know it's hard to love some people. I know it. Especially the guy that's irritating you and that works against you. The guy that persecutes you. He's the guy that is hardest to love. But let me tell you a, a quick story. When I came out of high school, I've been a Christian in my high school years outspoken Christian and you know high school right <laughs> boy I got it some of the guys who were in high school went with me to college same college as I and boy did they have a royal time mocking me um, you know varsity went by years went by and all of a sudden, I started getting callbacks from some of these guys. Found me on Facebook after, you know, 2005, Facebook helped us to, re, you know, refine some people. Started contacting me. Hey, JJ, I gave my life to Jesus and I thought that you should know. Hey, JJ, I want to say I'm sorry for being such a jerk towards you. I went to a men's meeting of some sort and I gave my life to the Lord. Hey, JJ, I spoke to a guy and he helped me to make my life right with God. And I thought that I should just let you know that, hey, I'm a Christian now. Some apologized, some just connected. But I literally started losing count of the amount of people that started coming back. I want to let you know that every single rejection moment you receive out there is a seed that God honors greatly. And He's going to move on those seeds that you plant in people's lives. Don't be afraid to be dishonored by the world. Don't be afraid to be ridiculed by the world. Because that's how they get saved. That's how they find Jesus. Somebody has to contradict them. Somebody has to say, you're not doing it right. Don't be afraid to be that person. And even if you hear not don't hear back from them, let me tell you, it's going to be a 
I can honor God one day in heaven. And God himself is going to thank you for each time you reached out to somebody that he loved on his behalf. Whether they accepted or rejected. We are royal priests. We are called to engage our world. We are not called to flee from it. We are the hope of the world in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm closing with this. Verse 13 says it like this. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. God is inviting you to no longer live for yourself. But to live for his kingdom and live for his mission. His mission is your commission. I'm trusting God that each and every one of us today, as we walk out this, will walk out with a commission, a mandate from the kingdom to go and represent and to go and tell the story of how Jesus affected me and how that changed my life. Let me tell you, there are people out there aching for hope, waiting for you to open your mouth and tell them where you find yours. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we want to come and humble ourselves before you, God. Lord, this is not about us. None of this is about us, God. God, we're sorry for how we make this about us so often. God, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts that we might see the relationship we have with our community in light of your mission, in light of your desire, in light of your love for this world. And that it might compel us, God. It might compel us to risk. It might compel us to be brave. It might compel us to, to step out and try to show you and your kingdom to people, to tell people about you. God, move on us. Holy Spirit, like you did with the disciples of old, you gave them boldness to preach your word. Give us boldness, God, when, we've, when we're in opportunities that we will not hold back. We will not, we will not hide, but we will step up and step out and stand up for Christ wherever we are. God, and if that causes us to be persecuted, if that causes us to, to get in trouble, we will rejoice for having been able to suffer with you, God. It's an honor. It's an honor. Thank you that we can trust that you've got our back, that when the world rejects us, you will provide for us. You will restore us, even promote us. Let us not live under the fear of man, God, but let us live in holy awe and wonder of who you are. 
And may that compel us to share that glory with the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.